Well, this morning I'm going to just uh, talk to you, uh, open your Bible, or you can look on the screen. John chapter 20, where I want to start this morning. And I don't know if some of you, a lot of you probably weren't even here then. Uh, it's been a while back. I did this message on the four faces of Christ <clears throat> and using the four Gospels. Um, you know, that each Gospel presents a different face of Jesus. And if we could get this boom out, that'd be so great, Donna. Um, you know, Matthew being a lion, uh, that's what Matthew's gospel really describes. Jesus as the king of kings. And you really can see that right away in Matthew with the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, it traces back through Abraham and David. That's really the, the focus of the whole book of Matthew is to present Jesus Christ as the king of the world. And then you have Mark, which uh, has symbolized by an oxen. You know, an oxen's a servant. And, you know, that you know, pre- pre- presenting Jesus as a servant of man. And that's really what Mark really, his focus in that book is all about how Jesus served mankind, you know, through his miracles and mighty acts and through laying his life down. And then Luke, Luke presents Jesus as a, as a man, the son of man, the human side of Jesus. And how Jesus was really was fully man, and fully God. And that's how, what Luke really tries to bring out in his gospel. And then the gospel of John has, uses the face of an eagle. Uh, that's the symbol for the gospel of John, and, and which speaks of Jesus being the Son of God, speaks of the heavenly character of Christ. And, um, you know, if you think about the gospel of John, that's what I'm going to talk to you about. I said all that just to tell you what I want to... I want to talk to you about the gospel of John... And if you think about the Gospel of John, really the Gospel of John is really a unique... It's a unique Gospel, being that that it's different from the other three Gospels, okay? And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But it's a unique book in the Bible. Have you ever noticed how when somebody uh, develops a new Bible, you know, like like, uh, any any of them, you will find the Gospel of John in a separate little book by itself. Have you ever noticed that? I've never seen the Gospel of Matthew you know, like here, the Gospel of Matthew. And, um, and that, you know, at first you wonder that, and I think probably many of us, if we, if we lead somebody to Christ and they ask us a question about, well, how about the Bible? Where should I read the Bible at? It's probably you're going to say, unless you may be more logical minded, some people just say, well, start in Genesis, you know, and... Actually, that's why when you start in Genesis and start in Matthew, you read it, you know, read the New and the Old Testament. But many people would say the Gospel of John. They would ask, they would say, just read the Gospel of John, which is very excellent counsel. Look, put that verse up there, uh, John 20, verse 30 through 31. Let me read to you what this is. The this is one of the clearest purpose statements for any book in the Bible. It says, "And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples." which are not written in this book, talking about the Gospel of John, but these are written, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Well, that's a really good reason to tell a new believer, read the Gospel of John, because that's what it says. That's the purpose of the Gospel of John, is to get us to believe that Jesus truly is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, the Son of God, and that as you believe, you will have life in His name. So that's really a, a great thing, it's a, you know, because that's the purpose of the book. And so if you're struggling and you're believing this morning about Jesus, read the Gospel of John. It's going to help you. Okay, now, it's been said uh, 
um, that the Gospel of John is uh, basically broken up into two parts. Okay? And this is very interesting. The first part being it's a book of signs. A book of signs. And that's what it, that, that Scripture just said. Put it back up there, Brian. It says, These signs... Next, next click. But these are written that you may believe. And truly, de- Jesus did many other signs. Everybody say signs. In the presence. All right, so you see, it's a book of signs. Okay? And, it's, and I'm, this, I didn't make this up. This ain't some revelation I got. This, is, this has come from theologians who studied those things. So I'm just passing along what these... Sometimes theologians have a good revelation. Yeah, like the airplane line. A good book of signs. And it's also a book of glory. A book of glory. So, and if you really study the Gospel of John, the first 12 chapters or so really focuses on the signs. The signs of Jesus. What Jesus did to reveal who He was. And then the, then the, the, the latter half focuses more on the glory of the person of Christ. You got that? And that's, you know, signs and glory. What did I talk to you all about last week? Glory and grace. Okay? Glory and grace. God wants to establish in glory and grace. Well, this is a book of glory. This is a book of, of signs. And, uh, and I think it's really important to see is, you know, that they use the word in the Gospel of John, signs. They don't use miracles. Okay, in fact, if you have a King James Version Bible this morning, you got the wrong, wrong version on the Gospel of John because they translate that word signs which I think it appears like 17 times in the, in the Gospel of John, they translate it, it miracles, which is wrong. It's a different Greek word, actually. There's like three Greek words. There's power, there's miracles, and there's signs. And there are three different words that are used in the original language. And those in the, in the original language of Gospel of John is not power, it's not miracles, it's signs. Okay? Now, what is a sign? A sign is a, a, sign is a it's, it's something that gives us information that tells us something that points us in a direction. In other words, if you wanted to go to Charlotte and, and didn't know how to get to Charlotte from here, we could tell you really what you need to do is you need to go out here and get on Highway 21 South, okay? And, follow, and, and see the sign that says 21 South and follow that to where you see a, a sign that says Interstate 77 and then you get on Interstate 77 South and that will take you into Charlotte. That's what signs are for in the natural. Well, these, if you study the Gospel of John, they are signs that are given in the Gospel of John to point us and give us information to direct us to something. That's what the Gospel of John is really about. And when you begin to really study the, the Gospel of John, more than just a cursy look, you know, a, a, you know, read, you know we're going to read the Bible. When you begin to really look into the Gospel of John and step across this barrier, this threshold that there really is, it's a spiritual threshold when we can really actually step into the Word of God, we begin to see things in it that are really profound. It's really profound. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, it's been a while back, Becky shared this, about this word, into me see. Remember that? Into me see, which is intimacy. Into me see. And really there's an invitation from the Lord, I believe, when it comes to the Scriptures where God really wants us to see into the Scriptures in a deeper way. As a matter of fact, He don't want us just to see it. He wants us to actually step in to the Word of God. And you can actually step into the Word of God. When I was in, in college, you know, taking engineering courses, I ran across this math course. You know, I was doing okay. I was making it through it. So I got in this course called trigonometry. Y'all know what that is. 
That's, you're starting to start moving on out down the road when you get in trigonometry. I was sort of struggling with it at first. I, you know, somehow or another I had you know, slipped and slid through Algebra 1 and Algebra 2. But man, when I got in trig, I was, man, this is, I'm not getting it, man. I'm just, you know, I was really struggling. And even though I wasn't a believer at the time, I know God spoke to me and told me how to get it. And this is what He said. Step into it. Put yourself into the equation. And I did. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, it was clear to me. Suddenly, trigonometry was easy to me because I became a part of the problem. I mean, not in the negative sense, but I stepped into the problem. And what I'm saying to you is I think with the Word of God, there's an invitation from God that we can step into the Scriptures in a way. And when we step into them, this is what you find. You find what Paul talked about in Ephesians, the height, the length, the breadth, the depth of God's love for us. There's a depth into the Word of God that we don't un- really have, that we don't really grasp. And when we step into it, we realize, wow, these words are really deep. They go way beyond what I've read. They are, they're way, it's like you, it's like literally stepping into a, another dimension. I would love to be in that dimension all the time. You, you, y'all hear what I'm saying? And I believe God has given us the opportunity. I believe there's power in the spiritual realm for us to step into something greater than we've ever, like, than just listening to people explain stuff or reading what other people learned about. That's all good. That's all well. We should do those things. But there's something more that God has for us concerning the Word of God. And I believe, uh, you know, one thing this summer, you know, you've heard of summer reading. You know, here's your summer reading list. You know, schools do that. I mean, it's pitiful, really. I mean, I always say, I mean, why do they these kids read through the summer? I never did that when I was going to school. I was not a very good student. I was a bad student. So I'm just looking at these kids and thinking, you need to read if they tell you to read. Don't listen to what I'm saying about the reading. But this, this summer, it's like God gave me the Gospel of John to be my summer reading. To really, and that's really what He said. I want you to go beyond where you've ever been in the Gospel of John. I want you to see things you've never really seen. And it's, really, it's been really fabulous to me. Um, this is one thing I uh, found out in the Bible. This is, this, this is interesting. I'm interested in facts like this. In the Bible, there are 200, and this is the whole Bible, New and Old Testament, there are 232 recorded miracles in the Bible, start to finish. That's a lot of miracles. Actually, I was a little disappointed when I only found it was just, just that many. I thought, wow, I thought there was more than that. Well, here's another proof. That's, there's 151 of those 232 are in the Old Testament. There's more miracles in the Old Testament recorded than they are in the New Testament. Which thing, well, you know, I've even gotten bummed worse. You know, like, gosh, what's wrong with you, Lord? You can only do that many. You know, there's 81 in the New Testament, 151 in the Old Testament, for those of you who are curious. This is another profound, puzzling, was a puzzling thought to me, is Jesus himself only, only did, only, 37 miracles in the New Testament. Only, only 37. Somebody's thing's dying. Phone. I heard that ring. Okay? So, you know, out of the 81, Jesus did 37. That means some, some other people did, you know, 40-something, which is really interesting. But John 21, 25, uh, let's put that one up. And it says, And there are also many other things. Let me point that word things to you. Things can be healings, miracles, teachings. Okay, many other things about it says that Jesus did. Which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Amen. 
So you see, Jesus did more than 37 miracles. In fact, there's places in the Bible that says He healed everybody that was sick. Everybody. It just doesn't give us a record of those healings. So Jesus did lots of things, many things. He said many things which are not written down in the Bible. But there are ones that are written in the Bible, and in in particular in the Gospel of John, they are eight miracles which the, the Lord said. He didn't call them miracles. There are eight signs in the Gospel of John. Eight. Some people have the seven theory. I used to have the seven theory until I studied this thing a little bit more. There's actually... And the reason I have the eight there is because there are eight there. There are literally eight miracles. One of them just happens to be after he was resurrected from the dead. But there are eight signs in the Gospel of John that, you know, that the Lord chose to give us in written form to point us, to direct us something, to tell us something, to reveal something to us. So, um, so eight of the 37 miracles Jesus did, John told us only about eight of them. So he didn't, he, he didn't, he basically told us a fourth of what Jesus did as far as that. Are y'all with me so far? Good. So would you like to know what those eight are? I would think you would. I would hope somebody would say, well, shut up and tell me what they are. <laughs> you know, hey, what are those things? They've got to be important. They're signs. Jesus wanted us to know about it. I want to know. Hey, I need some signs. I need to know how to tell you people how to get the golf galaxy to get my gift card for my birthday. You know? I know you want to buy me a birthday present. Get me the gift card. And I can tell you exactly how to get the golf galaxy. Actually, you can get it off the Internet. So, if you would put, uh, put those eight things up. I'm just kidding with you. Just trying to tell you how important that is. <laughs> Hush about it, yeah. <laughs> Stop advertising. Got trouble up here with Jim and Marlon. <laughs> it's it's GothGalaxy.com. <laughs> That's the easiest way to do it. All right. There's there is eight signs in the Gospel of John. Number one is the Jesus turning into water into wine. That's the first sign. John two. Number two, Jesus is healing of the nobles. And then let me just reiterate right now. Every time. When he would do, they didn't call it a miracle, they called it a sign. This is the first sign, this is the second sign. These signs Jesus did. The healing of the paralytic, John 5, that was the guy with the stirring of the waters. Remember that one. Uh, feeding the 5,000. Now, here's something interesting about the feeding the 5,000. It is the only miracle that shows up in all four Gospels. That's the only one that consistently shows up, which means this is a very special miracle that God wanted to say, I'm going to tell you about this one four times because maybe you'll get it. If I tell you four times, you know, there's something in that, that one that we need to get, that God wants us to get real bad, okay? I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I'm fine. I'm looking for it, though. I'm getting in there. Jesus walking on the water. I think that's in, uh, that's in three of the Gospels, so that's sort of, all of them are important, but that was a, that's a good one. And then the healing of the man born blind. Remember John 9, who sinned, this man or, or his parents? That's, that's the sixth one. Uh, then, of course, the, one of the more famous ones is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's a, that's a very famous uh, sign, which is a miracle that points us to something. It's a miracle that gives us understanding. Uh, and then the last one is, of course, the miraculous catch of fish at the end of the Gospel of John when the guys had forsaken the Lord and were out there fishing. So those are the... So those are the eight signs. Now, there's another thing that's interesting in the Gospels of John. That's why some people use the seven is the, you know, and this is just for informational purposes, is the I am's. Have you ever thought about in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, 
you know, I am, that's a real, you know, I am is who God was in the Old Testament. And he, he said, you know, there's like seven I am's in the Gospel of John. And everywhere one of those I am's are, there's a, there's a parable, there's a teaching about something about Jesus. Would you like to know what those seven I am's are? Good. Because I have them wrote down, but not up there. I was just thinking about it this morning. Because some people take, are able to connect the miracles with the I am's, but that ain't what I want to do. I just want to tell you this. Just this, it's such a blessing to know more about the Lord and about who He is and what He is. It's just a blessing. It blesses your life. But one of the I am's, and this is one I am, I am the way, truth, and life. That was, that's a, a statement. I am the way, truth, and life. And then there's another one called I am the resurrection and life. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the light of the world. Those are the seven I am's statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John, which he really doesn't make in the other Gospels. It's really something, you see what I'm saying? When we start stepping in to the Word of God, suddenly things, it's almost like being in a computer world. Remember how in the Matrix they had them things? Remember that? Those, that stuff floating down, zeros and ones? That's well, actually how a computer speaks is in zeros. Did y'all know that? Computer language, it is basic forms, just a zero or a one, on or off. It's called machine language, binary code. Well, that's the basic, you know. And then they, man adds all this other stuff on top of it to help us figure out what the zeros and ones are. But it's, it's sort of like that. You step into this thing like that. I don't know, you know, it's like it's just... And you start seeing things that you, can't, you don't normally see, and you start picking up things you don't normally pick up. God wants to do that for us. Amen? All right, John 151... This is a verse I've told you about so many times. I've thrown it out here. I threw it out last week. But this is a profound verse in the Bible. Uh, this is the Lord speaking to Nathaniel. And, you know, after he says, You're an Israelite in whom there's no God. And, uh, and this guy, you know, Nathaniel, Lord, you're the Lord. You're the Christ. When Jesus said that, you know, how did you know that? Well, I saw you under, you know, the Lord saw him sitting under this tree. And just because the Lord said, I saw you under a tree, he just immediately gave himself to the Lord. The Lord said, Listen, and he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He was just, what he was saying, Nathaniel, there, I've got something even more profound than me just seeing you sitting under a tree. You're going to see the heavens open. You're going to see an angelic realm. You're going to see profound things. And then I personally believe the rest of the Gospel of John is an explanation of that one verse. That was the thing that captured me, was that verse. And then I realized, because, like I've said before to you, the very next thing that John tells us about is the first sign that Jesus did was the turning of water into wine. It was like, listen, this is pointing you to see heaven open. This is pointing you into the spiritual realm, that miracle of turning water into wine. And so all eight of those signs are meant to point us to see that Jesus has opened heaven to us and the heavens have never been shut to us. They're open to us right this moment. Right this very moment, the heavens are open and if God would allow our eyes or the scales that have been placed on us to be removed, we could see exactly what Jesus said. Angels ascending and descending. And one of the ways they saw angels ascending and descending is they saw Jesus turn water into wine they saw this thing happen that could only be supernatural. So let's look at John 2.11 uh, and just sort of make this point to you. 
uh, this beginning of signs, this is the water and the wine, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and did what? Manifested His glory. What He was talking about in John 1, 51. It revealed who Jesus really was. That's what He was saying. Nathaniel, you're going to see something. You're going to see my glory. You're going to see how profound I really, really am because nobody else has angels doing this kind of stuff. But I do because I'm the God of glory. Um, so that was the beginning of signs that Jesus did. First one. All right, John 21, verse 1. Uh, this is at the very end, and this is how John chose to say it there. After these things, Jesus showed himself again. In other words, to the disciples at Sea of Tiberias, and this is the way he showed himself. In other words, this is the way he revealed his glory. This is the way he manifested himself to the disciples. So you see, at the very beginning of his ministry, he was revealing His glory, and at the very end, He was still revealing His glory. He was still having to show them. So here's the key. That, to me, was the big clue. If somehow or another, all these miracles are tied together. There's this pattern in these miracles, these signs. There's, there, there's a connection with them. That's why I went, another reason I went with the 8 theory versus the 7 theory. The 8 theory is, yes, they're in there. Plus, if you really see, you can see this pattern... With the, with the signs when you, when you look at all eight of them. Are you all with me? Or are you just looking at me like I'm stupid? Okay? So here's what I believe. I believe in every one of these signs that Jesus did, there's something profound in each one of them, spiritual keys to really help us see something beyond what we see to help us see heaven open, to help us see into the spirit realm, to teach us how God wants us as human beings to be able to see spiritually, hear spiritually, know spiritually. Uh, that's one. But I also believe if you look at this pattern that's in there, it all, that also teaches you something. So I'm going to quickly do that. And, and this is the way the pattern goes. Sign 1 and 8 goes together. Sign 2 and 7 are a pair. Sign 3 and 6 are a pair, and sign 4 and 5 are a pair. And I'll show you, I'm, what I want to do is show you how those things work together. Okay? Are you all with me? And this is this is simplistic view, okay? This is the Reader's Digest, okay? Honestly, it is, I mean, because there's a lot more to this, and, you know, and there's lots of ways of inter- interpreting the Bible, but this is one. All right, signs 1 and 8. All right, think about it for a minute. Sign 1, Jesus turned water into wine. There was a lack there. You got that? There was a lack. Sign 8. And put those signs back up there, Brian, just so people can, can see them. Unfortunately, we don't have sign 8. But sign 8 was the miraculous catch of 153 fish. So you see right now there's, there's a connection right there. There was a lack in both of these miracles. There was something that was needed there that they didn't have. The guys had fished all night and didn't have any fish. There was a wedding and they didn't had run out of wine. And Jesus... Did, through, a, through a miraculous act, through a miraculous release of His power, you know, gave them what they were lacking, gave them what they were needed, what they needed. And really, like I say, the Reader's Digest version of this is at the very beginning of the walk with God that the disciples, you know, had. The first thing He did is He did a miracle. And so they spent three and a half years with Jesus, watching Him do all kinds of things, and at the very end, He did another miracle. You got that? So think about it. Think of all the things 
that the disciples witnessed. I mean, they saw Jesus walk on the water. They saw Him feed thousands and thousands of people, literally feed them literal food. They saw Him raise people from the dead. They saw Him open people whose eyes were blind. They saw all this thing. But they were at the end you know, of His earthly time. And guess what they had to have? They needed something in their life then. And what they needed was another miracle. They needed God to do something else. And see, what that tells us as Christians is God has created us with this need as Christians to need God's miraculous power in our life always. Always. Christianity is a miracle. And God never meant for us to come. Well, we got saved. We got filled with the Holy Spirit 19 years ago. We had 17 prophecies, you know, 13 years ago. And we saw people healed back in the late 80s. But, you know, we're mature Christians now. That's not the way it works. Jesus put a need in us. Those guys had the need. They needed a miracle. And you and I need miracles to this day in our life. And we will never come to a place. And God will bring us to a place of lack in our life. He will bring us low where we need God to step in and do something. I don't care if you know everything there is to know in the Bible. God has created the spiritual life to be a life of miracles and, there's, and He brings needs in our life to fulfill those miracles. So this morning, if you have a need in your life, you're, you're in good company. You need a miracle. You need God to do something you can't pull off. You, somebody in your family may need healing. You may need healing. You may need a financial breakthrough. That's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're a disciple. It's because God made you to be that way. And I think we have to change our, our mindset concerning these things. That's really one of the things that I saw in that one. Are you all with me on it? All right, the second, uh, in the second pairs are sign two and sign seven. Uh, sign two is when Jesus healed this nobleman's son uh, in John 4. You know, um, and then sign seven was the, the raising of Lazarus. Now, if you look, if you study those and compare them, is what you will find is Jesus had to be sought out for these miracles. In other words, Jesus was not there at the nobleman's house when the son fell sick. The man had to travel at least one day to find Jesus. Okay? Same thing with Lazarus. They sent word, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. You've got to come and pray, you know, come and heal him. So he was a, he was a distance away. All right, and the second thing you're going to find out is this, is Jesus did not, their request that was made in both of these, he didn't do what they asked him to do, the way they asked him to do it. In other words, the noble one came to Jesus and said, you've got to come, you know, come to my house and heal my son. That's what he said when he found Jesus. You've got to do this. And, you know, the same thing. You know, come here and heal Lazarus. And Jesus wouldn't do it. You know, he had to talk with the guy, and he finally said, Listen, uh, the nobleman, he just said, you know, you know go your way. Your, your son lives. That's, that's how he did it with that one. With the, with the Lazarus deal, he says, the Bible says Jesus waited for four days before he showed up. Okay? And then it was too late, because Lazarus was dead. Now, this is an interesting thing about dead people. I didn't know this about dead people. Okay? But when a person dies... It literally takes their body three days to fully, for all cells in your body to completely die. The cells that are in your ligaments that connect everything together, those are the last to go. 
You know, they, for somehow they got a long lifespan. I don't know why, but they hang in there to the bitter end. So after three days, and in Jewish times, they didn't understand this medically. This is medical science, what I just told you. That's a proven medical science fact. They know that by studying dead people. Wouldn't you like to have that job, studying dead people, cutting out samples of tissues and monitoring it? And Oh, took three days. Last one to die. Okay, and then you start really getting into the rotten stage. <laughs> well, anyways, these guys, in the, Jew, in the day of Jesus, this is what they believed. This is a belief that they had. They believed when a person died, and this is where the Mormons get this. I finally figured out why they believed this is they believed that the person's soul hung around for three days. If there was any chance... See, Mormons believe that. They believe if you die, you know, your soul was hanging around that body, man, and I don't know why exactly they believe that, but what they, they got some different twist on it, I'm sure. I didn't ever take the time to find out their crazy twist. But, but in, the, in Jesus' day, Jesus knew, everybody knew, if you were dead after three days, there was no hope. It was done. You're finished, pal. There's no hope. Not even God can do anything. So he waited that long to let everybody know, there's no hope for Lazarus. He's rotting. He's stinking. It's finished. It's done. And then he shows up. Do you see that? And do you see, that's really one of the things. Same thing with the nobleman's son. He's dying if you don't do something. If you don't come, please help. And that's really what God does in a person's life. See, we have a... I believe everybody in this room, I don't care who you are, even if you're not a believer, someone, you probably believe God did this stuff. And God can do this stuff. Probably all of us believe. You know, I know God could heal if He wanted to. You know, but really where, what I think those two things teach, those two signs teach us is about the wisdom of God. See, we have faith in God's power, but lots of times we don't have faith in God's wisdom to do what God wants to do. So we pray for people and we don't see anything happen and we, you know, we're all bummed because we didn't see God's power get released. We pray over a situation. We pray over a child who's backslidden. Pray over our finances. Pray over your job. And you don't see God. But God has a greater purpose many times. And that's really what He was trying to teach us in those signs. That's what those signs were trying to say is you have to not only have faith in God's power, you've got to have faith in God's wisdom about your life, about your prayers that are not answered. Instead of being offended or disappointed or let down so bad, you pray for somebody for six months and they die. And then you don't want to pray for nobody. Well, that's the wrong response. I think we've probably all had that. But faith in the power of God, but not in His wisdom. God's, God's methods are many times much greater than just Him doing an immediate release of power. And that's really what He was trying to teach there. And besides the fact that He was also trying to teach this, He can do something from wherever He's at, you know. Lazarus, come forth. I heard one guy say, man, it's good that he said Lazarus because if he said come forth, every dead person who'd ever lived on the face of the earth would have been coming out of the graves. There'd been chaos on the earth. So he had to specifically say Lazarus, come forth. But I just thought that was sort of interesting. All right, the next... Uh, so that was signs 2 and 7. All right, the next one would be number 3, which is the healing of the paralytic, and number 6, the healing of the man born blind. Uh, remember the, this healing of the paralytic. This was beside the pool of Bethesda, and you know they had this. There were all these sick people. There are thousands and thousands of sick. It was like an ancient hospital almost. And so these sick people lay up here, and it says when the waters would get stirred, the first one into the water would be healed. And obviously that was happening because they believed an angel was down there stirring the waters, and so everybody would hustle down there. You know, can you imagine? 
being there and all these sick people laying around and they saw the water stirring. You think the sick people didn't come out flying, you know, fist swinging, and, you know. You know, if I'd have been sick, man, I'd have had me a club, I'd have been right there, man. I'd have been hitting everybody to get there. Well, that was what was happening. Well, this is one guy, the Bible says he'd been paralyzed for 38 years. And he, you know, the Lord came up and saw this man and said, you know, do you want to be, you know, started talking to him, asking him some very pointed questions. And, you know, I don't have anybody, to, you know, do you want to be healed? Well, I don't have nobody to take me down there. I'm paralyzed. I can't move. So I've been, been laying there for 38 years sick. Couldn't move. I mean, awful. Can you imagine that? And so the Lord, you know, of course, spoke to him and healed him. And, you know, then he gets in trouble with the Pharisees because he's walking. And he said, take up your mat. You know, so he took his little bedroll, rolled it up, and was walking around. Pharisees got mad at him because he was carrying that thing on the Sabbath and started questioning him about Jesus and all this. Well, the same thing with the, with the man. And then Jesus later saw this man and said, listen, talked to him about it and said, and go and sin no more, least something worse happen to you. Least something worse happen to you. In other words, Jesus was tying sin into sickness and suffering with that guy. That, I thought, well, that's interesting. Well, if you study the man born blind, the first question his disciples ask him, Lord, who sinned, the, dad, the parents or the son, this is born blind, this man was 40-something years old, to cause this? And Jesus said, neither. Remember that, John 9? Neither. So you got on one hand, you got Jesus saying, there's a link between sin and sickness. But then on, other, on this other one, he's saying not all sin, I mean, not all sickness is caused by a personal sin or family sin. You see what I'm saying to you? That's an important point. Now, I think all, sin, all sickness comes from the devil. It don't come from God. I'm not suggesting that on any level. I think every sickness there is, God didn't cause it. You know, God uses it, but He doesn't cause it. Y'all got that? That's important to know. But, uh, and the same thing happened to this guy. The Lord healed him. Remember, he's up there, the Pharisees, he's talking about, we know this guy, God doesn't speak to this, a sinner like this guy, talking about Jesus and that man. He said, God, I ain't never heard of such crazy stuff as this. Here's this guy healed a man, born blind, this has never happened on the earth, and you say God don't hear his prayers. That's what this guy was saying to the Pharisees. I thought, man, that is the best answer in the world. This guy blistered those guys. Of course, they kicked him out. What do you know? You were born in sin. That's what they said to us. This is all in the Bible, John 9. Um, but this is an important point, I think, is, is the power of a religious spirit. The power of a religious spirit. Because in both cases, here's Jesus help someone that were for most of their, this one guy for 38 years, this other guy all his life, were in need of a miracle. And the Pharisees, the religious spirit, went after those people tooth and nail. And we have to really be aware that there are spirits that oppose Healing. They oppose miracles. They oppose anything that God does outside the natural realm. We got to know that that there's an opposition to the supernatural power of God, and that's one of the things it teaches. And I think the other thing it teaches is about the connection between sin and sickness. In some cases, yes, as with the man born, you know, the man paralyzed, there was a direct connection. Jesus said, "Don't hey, something worse is going to happen if you if you don't repent and live right." He let him know right quick, bud. You better do some stuff. Then the other guy, it wasn't the parent's sin. It wasn't his sin. It was for my glory. Okay? You got that? 
those are important connections, don't you think? Also, it's interesting that his water was connected in both of those miracles. One of them, Jesus, the guy couldn't get to the water. The paralytic, he couldn't get to the water. The other one, Jesus said, he put mud, spit and put mud on his eyes and said, go wash in the, another, in the, in the pool. You, you see that? It's almost like there's this tension between the two miracles. One's pulling this way and one's pulling that way. So you can't make no, no rule the next person you see blind, you put some mud on his eyes and spit and tell him to go wash and hope it works. Well, I mean, you know, it may, but it probably won't unless the Holy Spirit's leading you to do that. And see, here's something we have to be careful about, I think. Is I am really 100% sold out for models of good prayers. Okay, that you, have a, you find a prayer that's a, a prayer model that works. But I'm going to tell you something. If God is going to heal somebody with somebody slobbering and yelling and carrying on like a fool, I'm for that. Honestly. I think, you know, we can't box God into what we think is nice and clean and pretty. Now, I think the nice and clean is pretty. Let's use it as long as God uses it. But if God decides He wants to do it in a different way, we need to give God space to do God what God does. And that's another thing that teaches you. You know, I mean, he did the mud thing. That wasn't clean and pretty, you know. So, again, we need to be led by the Spirit of God. I think that's the only thing. Okay, are y'all with me so far? All right, the last, all right, not the last one, but sign number four and sign number five. The feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water. Again, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. So that's really an important miracle in the Bible, I think. And Jesus obviously wanted, hey, I need to tell these people this four times. I think the walking in the water shows up three times. And to uh, one of the things that I immediately saw is this is one miracle that Jesus did that his disciples, these two miracles that his disciples participated in, both of those. They went and distributed, they went and found the food. You know, Philip, hey, we've got this food here. You know, five barley loaves and two sardines, two fishes. Okay, and brought it to Jesus. Then Jesus prayed over it, broke it, and blessed it. And they are the ones who took it and gave it to people. Peter walked on the water. So those were miracles. Now, but to really, to really, what I really, the insight that I was really getting off in this was, uh, I had to go and read the accounts in the other Gospels, is, uh, first of all, let's put up that verse, Brian, John six twenty six. When Jesus did the miracle, when he fed the 5,000 this is what they said. Jesus answered them and said, Most surely I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. Important point. You're seeking me not because of the signs I did, but and that the purpose of the signs were to direct you to me. But because you ate the loaves and were filled. That's why you're seeking me. You're seeking me for temporal reasons. Okay? And it said that they actually tried to make Jesus king by force. Those people, those 5,000 people, they tried to make him king by force. Well, guess what happened on the walking on the water deal? It says it in John there. Jesus walks on the water. It says the disciples fell down and worshipped him. That's what, that was their, see, there was a whole different response there between a true disciple and somebody who wasn't a true disciple. You see, the, the true disciple's response to the miracle was worship. You know, you are the Lord. You are the King. We don't have to make you that. We can't make you that. How can we make a man who could walk on water something? But the people who that got, you know, food, ate lunch, free deal, you know, they're thinking, man, we make this guy the King. We'll be the greatest nation on earth. 
Think about it. This guy, he can make food. He can create food. We'll never be hungry. We'll be the greatest, you know, we'll have the greatest economy. You know, if he can make food, he can create some armies. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, I, you could see the carnal thinking in what they were, what they were saying. So I think that was the one thing that I really saw was the real response to what God was looking for is the signs that he wants to do. It's what is our response? Does it really evoke worship in us? Or are we wanting things? Are we going to be skeptical? Oh, you know, I don't think that was really the Lord. Or are we going to try to capitalize, you know, on what God does? Capitalize on His miraculous power. And, you know, build. We're going to build this great ministry now that we have these miracles working. You know, I mean, really, it really should evoke, you know, us bowing to the Lord in worship. You know, giving God the glory. Uh, you know, it's just in man's heart, you know, to get offended, to capitalize on things, to be skeptical. That's, that's all the heart of man, that to look for personal gain in anything that God's doing. But that's carnal. That's not what God wants. Really what He wants, one of the things that He wants to do, that's what that sign points to, is that God's looking for us to worship Him. He actually said that in another place in John. He's looking for worship. He's looking when He does something, you know, we don't start counting the money, you know, or the income that's going to come in off in God's power is we bow to Him. And we give Him the glory and honor due His name. So, um, and then, you know, that's, I already did the, so that's it. That's the, the eight miracles. Let's, let's put them up there and read them one more time. It's eight signs. God wants to speak to you. I'm convinced God wants to speak to people. Eight signs. He wants to speak to somebody this morning about the water, turning water into wine, or the miraculous catch of fish. Somebody has a need. God's saying, you need a miracle. That's what he's saying. Or the other ones, the healing of the nobleman's son, Lazarus, raising of Lazarus from the dead. Somebody's needing God to do something. You've been asking him, Lord, please help me in this thing. You've been praying about this for years. What are you doing? And God just wants to say, I'm doing, I know what I'm doing. Trust me in my wisdom. Trust me in my wisdom. Keep going after me. Because that was one thing about the nobleman. He wasn't going to back down from Jesus on this deal. Jesus kept, when you read that, Jesus tries to talk about the other thing, that noble one flat. No, I mean, I'm here for my son. I don't want to know about this other stuff. And you think, well, that's sort of disrespectful, but he got his answer. He just kept after it. But when the Lord said, your son lives, he accepted that. He didn't say, well, no, you've got to come. He said, okay, then you're saying it, I'm going to believe it. It says that when he got halfway home, his servants met him and said, you know, all is well. Your son's healed. He's well. And they said, what time did that happen? They said, at such and such time. That was exactly the time Jesus said, your son lives. He knew it. I mean, you see what I'm saying? God has an answer for us. But we, some of us in this room this morning, for these prayers that are not answered, we really have to ask the Lord, Lord, I've trusted in your power. I believe in your power. I need to trust and believe in your wisdom also for my life. I've been praying for a spouse for 28 years, Lord. You know, I'm getting old. I'm getting ugly. You know, I'm not as quick as I used to be. I can't, you know, smooth the women like I used to convince them I'm something. You know, now I'm just this guy. I don't have no hair. You know, my legs sort of kind of get wore out on me. You got to trust him for his wisdom for us, spouse. And you know, it's the truth. You know. Anyways, that was that was the son. And then, of course, we had the paralytic and the and the man born blind, number three and number six. And the Lord, you know, that was... You see, the Lord initiated those. And a lot of the, a lot of the thing, healings in the Bible 
were initiated by Jesus' compassion on people. He'd see somebody, he'd say he'd be moved with compassion. It never says that in John, it says it in other places, the other gospel. He'd be moved with compassion. See somebody, really, really something would cry out in God. You know, I think that's one thing God really wants to do for us is release his compassion into our lives. So we see some messed up soul and we feel something in us. It's God in us. We want you to pray for him, touch him. But also the whole thing about, you know, the Lord, you know, really not doing doing the deal the way you want it. Um and trusting him for it. Um, then what did I do here? Am I confused? Four and five, feeding the five thousand and walking on the waters. This whole thing about I think one, this is what the Lord's teaching me. Is Byron, if I give you anything, you better do something with it. Don't bear your talent. And I find, well, okay, Lord, I'm going to feel like a fool standing up in church and telling people to pray for the king of Saudi Arabia. Duh, that just seems dumb, Lord, I have to say that. But I know God was on that. I know he was. Because when I started really praying about it, the Lord came all over me. It's like God gave you this. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what God's given you? God wants us to participate with him in his miraculous work. And I think this is the key. I think when you do it, there's more. You know, in other words, when you obey the Lord simplistically, even though you may feel foolish, and it may be one of those things where it's just the wisdom of God and you're not going to see nothing happen and everybody's going to think, oh, he's just a failure. You know, he ain't heard God. But you know you did and you do what God's told you to do. That just opens you up for more. Because, see, God really is, has been said, he is a very, very wise businessman, the wisest of all. He invests in stuff that he knows is going to return. You know how the parable of the talents. The foolish and wise version. The Bible's full of that. It's full of it. And what God wants us to see, that He has placed a pearl of great price in each of us. Now, we know that Jesus is a pearl of great price. We know that who Christ is in us is infinitely great. But how much? How many of us know who we are in Christ as being infinitely great? Now, there's a big difference between who Christ is in us and who we are in Christ. Most of us value who Christ is in us. But not many people really truly value, unless you're just some arrogant little rascal that God's going to mow you down and you think it more highly of yourself than you should. You're going to get yours. I promise. I don't even have to, and I ain't even you know, going to mess with you. you know, just, Lord, do it, and I'm staying out of this deal. You know? But we've got to come to a place in our life when God gives us something that we say this to it. This is hugely valuable, not because of me, but because God gave it to me. And if it came from God, it's got to be valuable. It's got to be. Because if somebody was telling me they get these this letter, somebody sent them this big letter about stuff, spiritual stuff, and they didn't sign their name to it. And he said, you know, if they didn't care about signing their name to it, they must not care about it. Why am I going to read something they, they won't even sign their name to? He tosses it. I thought, exactly. They don't value God wants to use us working with Him in the miraculous realm. He really he wants us to, you know, hey, Lord, is that you? Yeah, come on out here. Golly, Lord, <laughs> there's nothing there to support me. Well, I'm going to support you. You know, walking in faith, walking in what God's got. Amen? So I just, that's sort of the, you know, the long and short of the Gospel of John and the eight signs in the Gospel of John. So, you know, we wanted to pray for people this morning and ask the Lord to touch you and 
kill you. If any of those things were um, something that God was speaking to you, like a, like a need or you just need to trust the wisdom of God or a healing, or if any of that applies to anybody, we, we would like the ministry team to come up. We we're just going to pray simple prayers for you uh, and see and let God do what simply only God can do. So if we could get the ministry team to come on up now and those of you who feel like this is an area where you felt God made, you need to an answer to prayer in one of those areas. Would you just come on up and can we get some music? Heather's on the way. Yeah, there's Heather. She's going to have a baby soon. They need a miracle. Well, they do have a miracle. They got a baby's being born, but they Aaron needs a financial miracle in his life because he wants Heather to be able to stay at home and take care of the baby. That's a big deal, isn't it? Y'all know about that. So Aaron ought to come out here. Sometimes daddies can just do that, and then later he gets gets, gets beat up by their son. <laughs> but you know, there's people like you know Andy who's doing living a miraculous life. Got five kids. You know. <laughs> His wife stays at home with him. That's miraculous. Marlon has made that choice. See, there's things that... These, those are miraculous. That's a miraculous life. That somehow they're getting through it. They're not living on the lake yet. <laughs> Maybe they will one day. I don't know. Those would be people I want praying for me, man. You know what I'm saying? Or if you need a healing this morning. You need God. Lord, I've messed up. i got a, you know, a growth on my knee. I need a thing broken off of me. Or somebody in my family. The Lord wants to help you. This is what this is about. He wants to touch you. So I invite you to come up as we end and ask you know, for prayer and let, let the folks pray for you. So Lord, we just want to just, uh, we're going to close and just end in prayer. Father, we are here. Lord, we believe you're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you perform signs and we're asking you we want to be involved in the miracles and signs of Jesus so the world might know that you are the Son of God and believe in you. So we invite you to come now and touch every person that was here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the rest of you guys can...